This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. There may be no issue more pressing for design firms than finding and retaining talent. The surprising surge of work for designers during the pandemic, combined with what's been called the Great Resignation and the rise of remote work, has had a huge impact on the ability of design firms to hire the talent they need. More than one designer has told me he or she has had to turn down projects simply because they did not have adequate staff to handle the work. So how do you find the best candidates when it seems everyone is hiring and job postings are popping up all over Instagram? How do you manage to train and retain the staff you have when they are most likely getting attractive offers from others? And are there techniques and management skills that will help your office to work at optimum efficiency and to sustain great morale? I have with me today two designers who have dealt with and are still dealing with these issues. First is San Francisco-based designer Beth Martin, founder of Martin Group SF, who merges rigorous elegance and refinement with organic materials and a relaxed California vibe in her work in both urban apartments and townhouses and mountain and beachside retreats. Hello, Beth. Hi, Michael. So nice to be here. So glad you're here. Courtney Bishop is a Charleston-based designer known for her deft merging of modernity and traditional designs, her embrace of vivid patterns and colors, and her youthful bohemian flair, which she brings to both homes and hospitality projects. Welcome, Courtney. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. We're also joined by a professional recruiter who specializes in creative industries to give his insights into finding and managing the talent that is right for your team. Billy Clark of Billy Clark Creative Management is a New York-based recruiter who specializes in collaborating with architects, interior designers, and hospitality and real estate firms to help them find and work with the best talent available. Hello, Billy. Hey, Michael. Hi, Beth. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you're all here. So I want to start with the designers. Courtney, I want to start with you because I know that yours is a small team, and I know some of them have been with you practically since the founding of your firm. Is that still the case? Because I know things change. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. You know, one specifically started with me before I even rebranded my firm on my own. I value the people who work with me, and I'm really appreciative of the ones who really have been with me this long. I've got nine employees now. The firm is growing every day, but I I have managed to hold on to a few of the ones that started with me in the beginning. And how have you managed to do that, do you think? It's a camaraderie. It's really a lifelong relationship. We're building something together as a team or supporting each other in our work environment, in our family environments. We are growing together. And I think just building something, being a part of something has allowed me to keep these women on board. Mm -hmm. And Beth, what about you? How big is your team? Right now we're six, but we have two people uh, working remotely. And I think Courtney is right. I think that 
the whole tenor of working together is that it's really that we're in relationship with each other and that we really listen deeply to each other. And, you know, we're running a a business and there has to be some structure. But at the same time, I think what COVID and this whole climate has done is it has made all of us as business owners really rethink how we do business, how we're interacting with each other at the job and with our clients in every possible way. And I don't think that that in and of itself is a bad thing. I think it's actually a really productive and a good thing. It's so much about, for us, it's communication and really listening to each other and trying to incorporate individual needs while also making it sustainable for everyone. So it's listening to your staff. 100%. So have either one of you had to turn down projects because you didn't have adequate staff? It's such a funny question because, you know, we're we're always refining our clientele, right? We're always, I think, growing as a firm and understanding what we want for our lives, what we want for the next two years in a project. So I would say we're just getting a little bit pickier and maybe just— Selfish is not the right word, but maybe we're just thinking about our needs a little bit more as we look forward and and try to make sure that we're staffed correctly so that we can all maintain our mental health. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that that obviously staffing impacts the growth of a company for sure. But as I will say alongside Courtney, growth in and of itself isn't necessarily, it's not even desirable. It's not the, the main goal. It's that what the how we at Martin Group sort of handle this is that we have a core group of clients that we've been working with for over 10 years in some cases. And that is our first priority for sure. When we do have new projects that come along, we take them on a case-by-case basis. And is it a right fit? Are we going to be able to accommodate them, etc.? And what often happens in in our case we haven't turned down projects there might be a delay so in mm-hmm. other words and as we all know in the design industry and business is that there are arcs of really busy time and it we can taper off and so if we're able to incorporate new projects so that the flow of our workload within the office circling back to your first question of does staffing affect that it can, but it all, we can also work it to our advantage. So we haven't found it to be a huge problem, but it's also how we manage everything. Right. So, Billy, I want to ask you, because I, I'm, I can't imagine that for the past year and a half, you haven't been incredibly busy, because I see things popping up on Instagram. You know, we're hiring, we're hiring. I see things like the Business of Home Weekly yeah, email newsletter, which I love, has a longer and longer list of people who are trying to hire, AD Pro, the same. And people literally have told me so often they can't find talent. So have you experienced an influx of new clients and how do you deal with this? You know, an excellent question, similar to Courtney and Beth in terms of, you know, the onboarding of existing clients, excuse me, the onboarding of new clients coupled with maintaining the relationships you know, of folks that we've worked with for the last 15 years. And so I wouldn't say one takes precedence over the other, but on our side, we're seeing that everyone is sort of looking for the same type of function. So it's a lot of intermediate to sort of senior level talent 
everyone kind of is, has the same needs. And they're just, what we're also noticing is that a lot of folks that would have traditionally been job seekers or made a move to a new firm are now, because of the market and how busy it is, are able to take on projects independently and start their own practices and do their own oh, thing. Interesting. And so that's been really curious, particularly you know, after 2008, 2009, the last recession, when it was the design world was kind of decimated for a period and right. you know, where people were looking to go back into a traditional office space. And that was, you know, 12 years ago. And now it's very much different. So we've found that we are fielding far more requests for new work. And at the same time, we don't want to disappoint potential new clients or alienate existing clients if things are will take too long. We know the need is immediate. And we're also outlining that what used to take a month to onboard new talent is now taking two months in terms of the recruitment cycle and that process. So it's been delayed, but I think the trend might be here to stay for the short for, for the short term, you know, over the course of the next year or so. Right. And where do you find this talent? Because that's the thing. I mean, I know everybody is out there looking for it, but do you have to reach out to people who are already working at firms? I mean, do you go after design school graduates? I mean, this clearly they're not senior level, but it must be much harder than it used to be. I mean, I know at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone thought the design industry was going to die and there was three months of panic. And I know designers who laid off people at that point and now they can't get them back. Right. I think, Michael, you, as far as you know, BCCM specifically, and I think, you know, I can't speak for other search firms, but, you know, I've been in this space for 17 years. And so having its refer- yeah, context. Re- contacts and referrals get, ref- you know, beget referrals. And then it's a lot of, it's a lot of research. So, you know, we're a team of eight and we have, you know, we're constantly coming through LinkedIn and other, other platforms to try to identify folks that are appropriate and make sense. And I think one of the things that's unique relative to engaging a search firm versus posting an ad is we're a luxury service. Like you don't, no one needs to use us. And so if there is, if people are going to make that investment, they want to see the best of the best, the most tailored, the most curated group of options. Yeah, the expectations are high. We use recruiters and you guys are worth your weight in gold because as our business has grown and we have grown exponentially, ironically, over COVID, for us to give job positions to recruiters, it's that you're able to vet those people out. And not only that, as recruiters, the recruiter that we work with, not you, Billy, unfortunately, but in any case, they understand sort of our language, what our needs are, the sort of the the culture of our business and who we are. And they're able to really handpick and find that and really cull through candidates prior to even presenting to them. So it, it's a huge service that you guys do. Huge. Yeah. And, and Beth, you hit something that we, Clayton, my business partner in Los Angeles and I hit on specifically is my, our practice is very much casting as much more so mm-hmm. than recruiting, particularly as it pertains to the design and creative world. People are coming to us to find someone who makes sense for their office from a cultural angle. Do they have the right vibe, the right chemistry? Do they look, talk, walk, act the part? Do they have the right background? To a certain degree, stylistically, and deciding, like, does this person's previous work experience make sense for our office in terms of, you know, where they've sourced, where they've shopped, the caliber of projects in which they've worked? Um, And so I think those are all components that, 
you know, in my business, we want to, we joke, we want to present no more than three to four candidates. And like, that's it. Um, you know, if it's going on a dozen, we're not doing something right. And so I think one of the pieces too, and I'm sure Courtney and Beth, when you guys have worked with other recruiters, it has to be a collaboration. So like just sending a job posting to a recruiter to say like, find me someone is unproductive for both parties because we really have to educate each other on the process um, and manage the expectations on, okay, Billy, like, I need this person in the seat in three weeks. That's going to trump their any other skills. Like, I just need a body. Or in other cases, it's like, Billy, we're now hiring a, a design director. I'm willing to take six months to find this person because it really has to be right. And so that strategy, as, as it pertains to talent, is all the most fun and most rewarding part of you know our practice is helping find that next, not only higher for you guys, but also working with a candidate on their next major career move. And it really, it feels great for everybody when that match is really solid. I know that hiring is a very difficult and, you know, totally personal thing. I mean, in my career in magazines, I hired some amazing people who went on to huge success in the media business. I hired people who went on to huge success in businesses other than media. And then I hired some real doozies. And, you know, you think you're (laughs) You're good at this. And I, but I, you know, every time was like rolling the dice again. You just never really know. So I'd be curious, Courtney, how you go about what do you look for when you're interviewing? I mean, just, I mean, everything's changed about hiring. You know, you used to be sending your resume, all that, all, all of that has changed. So how do you handle it on a, when you need somebody yeah. new to your team? It's, it's one of the most challenging things that I do personally, and I do do it myself. So, Billy, I have not engaged a recruiter, but you may get a call really soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> truly, because, you know, at, to the point of this talk, you know, we are losing people to remote jobs. And I think mm-hmm. for my specific kind of business, I can't have remote people. I have to have people in the studio. We had two weeks where we were all working from home in the spring of 2020, and I was the most stressed out I've ever been in my life. So for me, it's about having people in the office that I can really work with on a daily basis. We're a very collaborative firm. There are people working on every single project on a daily with me, all nine of them in some way, shape, or form, if they're an assistant or a lead designer. And so the next hire is is really hard. And it's who's the right next fit for us specifically. And and I trust, Billy, that you guys have got this down. And, I, and I'm, you know, I think that that's one of the hardest thing a firm is it can possibly be challenged to, to do as they're growing because you kind of got your nuts and bolts, but you really want to spend your money wisely and you want to make sure that the next person is going to help the business grow or at least ease the pressure off the current situation, right? So the puzzle gets tighter and tighter. You know, those pieces get harder and harder to identify. And for me personally, I have to I have to see them. I have to be face-to-face. I, I have met some of my hires in a restaurant, in a club. I've met them, you know, at a party. I've met them in a working environment, and I have hired them myself through those meetings. It's really a face-to-face intuition with me. And sometimes like you, Michael, I've blown it. And sometimes I hit the nail on the head. And it's really a, it's up to chance and faith that we're going to have the right next fit. 
I agree with Courtney that it is a very sometimes organic meeting of the minds. It's a chemistry thing. It's that you have things in common, how you share information, whatever that is. But what I will also say for us, and it's a quality that I look for both in clients and I also look for collaborators, whomever's um, joining our team. And that is how do people express and take other people's opinions and ideas. And that is to say that there are some people that are very, you know, they're very open-ended and they're very inclusive and they incorporate that. And there are some people that don't necessarily take it in. And I think that the personality, especially as creators, and again, going back to listening, is that when someone is very open-ended and able to incorporate other people's ideas and so forth, it's it's a mark of who we want on our team. It's huge. Yeah. When I was talking to one designer about this, she said, I said, how do you find people? And she said, you know, I've had to expand the way I think about who I hire. She said, I've actually, she told me she had great success in going after students who had studied like fashion and fabrics, you know, because of that kind of thing. And so Billy, is this something that you guys do as well? Sort of have expanded the circle of what you look at or have you not had to go to that route yet? It's a great question, Michael. Every client will be unique in terms of what they're looking for, what they need. What Beth needs in San Francisco versus Courtney in Charleston is completely different. Um, even if which makes it yeah, hard, totally. Even if they're in the same market, like you know, designer the designer with the office down the hall has a completely different energy. So, I would say that we, you know, the academic component is really important for sort of a junior to intermediate candidate, um, and really making sure that they have the technical skills and proclivity to like go to work every day, like they know how to like show up on time, write an email, like the, like the general functionality that it is to be a professional. And, you know, again, it's managing clients' expectations. Like you can't have a junior designer do senior designer work. Like if you want that to happen, you'll be sorely disappointed. And I think it's managing, employers managing their expectations of what their staff is actually capable of. And, you know, and the support network that goes around that whether it's timeline or budget or what have you. And we think that's a bigger step that we oftentimes like to work with clients on is crafting like the job description. And not only in what is the, so what are the, the loose bullet points there? But in addition, what's the mission statement of the firm? Like what is the, what's, what are the goals of the practice? And we found now more so than ever, candidates, because they have their choice of five or six offices when they're interviewing, they want to know what is the organization about that I'm about to hitch my wagon to because, you know, being an intermediate designer, senior designer at firm X or firm Y, like the job is the same. Like they're going to do a certain amount of AutoCAD, they're going to do a certain amount of shopping, they're going to do a certain amount of like CA work. But really, a firm can differentiate themselves based on where they're looking to go, what they're looking to do. And we've found studios that are able to really sell themselves which didn't used to be the case, you know, two, three, five, ten years ago, you really have to make, put your best foot forward because they're going to go somewhere else if they don't feel an alignment or an excitement to have them be part of the team. And that's been a total shape shift for even some of our more established clients that are like, I'm an AD 100 office. What do you mean they don't want to work here? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, right. like, they, like, like, they don't care. Like that's, that's doesn't mean 
they're not going to immediately want to hitch their wagon to you because you were published last month. Like that's, it's less important than- And if the rumor is out that you're the worst boss in America, (laughs) then they really don't want to work with you. So um, again, it's, I think the bigger, the bigger picture is all about the the longer term strategy of who we need to hire and then working backwards from there over the course of a year, um, as opposed to the course of a month. And you'll find the best talent that way. And I think what you were saying about the job description is really crucial and something that every firm, however big or small, needs to think about. Because I know people, not in the design industry, but people who have been, uh, you know, applied for jobs and went through 12 or 14 interviews. And I thought, you know, this is crazy. This means that this company doesn't know what they're looking for. They, they don't know the job. They don't know that, you know, it's a, it's a, a recipe for failure. Actually, in that Muse report on the Great Resignation, they talk about this, is that, um, what's her name, Catherine Minshew, she talks about that most people that changed companies during the Great Resignation is that when they got to the job, it was not the job that they thought it was going to be. And the study said that 48% of the people that left their jobs for, quote unquote, the better job, is that they regret and they would want their old job back. Yeah. Which is kind of pretty amazing, right? And and so I think that uh, along with what you're saying, Billy, and I think you said this as well, Courtney, is that I think that when we go through job interviews with people, we try to be as candid and transparent. And really, as you said, Billy, I mean, are we selling them? Yes, but it's, I, I'd like to say that it's coming from a really authentic place of that this is who we are. And we're straight shooters. It's like, we're not going to be like, hey, this looks really great over here. And we're going to, you know, lure you in with all of these bells and whistles. And then you get on and we're going to like nose to the grindstone and we're chaining you to your desk and you're never going to leave. Totally. It's like, you know, it's like, we're, we're not that, we're not that office, mm-hmm. right? It's that who you see and what, to your point, Michael, is what we do is we have, I am a great believer in hiring people that actually I'm not with senior people. Yes. But mid to junior level people, I'm not the first person that they talk to. It's a group decision when we, when anyone comes in and we're, we're a small enough firm where we can really do that. And that's actually a really wonderful thing that I think about um, having a small business is we can include people in that process of hiring. Because my feeling is if other designers or other project managers or people that are working on a project and they have to either advise or be collaborating directly with that person, they should be a part of that process. And sometimes I think when a few people are looking and hiring someone, they have a different perspective that I may or may not have, which is incredibly valuable. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Courtney, I'd like to get a sense from you because I do think the best way to hire is not to have to hire. If you have a great team, if you can keep them there. So have you had to make adjustments for, especially for the newer members of your team? Uh, You know, the the younger generation, 
you know, thinks a little differently. And believe me, I'm not into, I'm, we're not, this is not about bashing millennials or Gen Z or anything else and saying they don't have any work ethic because I know that's not true. But I think their expectations are a little different. So I'd love to get a sense, Courtney, from what you've done and, and then also you, Beth, as well. And then, Billy, I want you to, I want you to try and explain to us what they're really looking for. But anyway, let's start with you, well, Courtney. you know, I think with the, with the whole, you know, remote opportunity, then, you know, you do get a chance to work out on time or work out when you want to. And you get an opportunity to go on a, a few extra days of vacation if you can convince the boss that you're working. And, and all of those things are are out there in the world right now. But what we are dealing with as a, as a team, you don't work at CBD unless you're a hard-ass worker. I mean, that's the first thing we talk about when you walk in the doors. We're going to work so hard. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. Do you know this is the most complicated job that I know of? And you've got to be well-rounded. You've got to have the tempo that all the other team members have. And so when I find that right person, it's exciting for me, but I don't know personally if they're going to get burnt out. You know, it, it's definitely out there. And I know that we stress the team out at times. And then I know we play and have fun, you know, at times. And that's the roller coaster world that I think we're living in on all levels, at home and at work, right? We're, we're all just kind of trying to go with the flow and, and things ramp up. And, and we just try to maintain a level of kindness and respect for one another and hope that it works out. I know we're going to, I know we're going to turn over more with the remote opportunities out there. And um, that's just not something for our firm specifically right now. Right. Maybe right. I'll grow into it, but right now I just, I need my people in the studio. Right. Right. Well, it's hard on collaborative businesses. I think it's very hard to work remotely. Creative but, collaborative is very difficult right. when you're not right. with people. Right. Beth? I agree with Courtney. I think that in California, we had to work remotely for many more months than than you guys in South Carolina. And so we were challenged by that. Were we able to do it? Sure. Was it ideal? Absolutely not. And like you, Courtney, we we are back in the office. We are, you know, the design team is here 100% of the time. We do have at an executive level, my CFO and expediter and bookkeeper all live remotely. And we talk to them, you know, they're like a full-time staff and we're talking to them throughout the day full on. So there are certain functions that can work remotely, but in terms of the collaboration and especially when we're looking at materials and it's not only that if when we had to work remotely and we were scheduling Zoom calls to go through design, there is a clunkiness around that that you know, and I'm stating the obvious perhaps, but, you know, when you're sitting in a room and we're all looking at floor plans or looking at materials or something, there's an, a casualness that happens where you walk up to someone's desk and say, hey, I'm stuck on this. Or And so I think that that is really important. And I also think uh, full circle with this whole idea of a team and working together I mean, when you're physically next to someone, there is something that is more powerful than being on a Zoom call that you feel more engaged, you feel more as a part of a team. I don't think that you can replicate that remotely in, with Zoom. Right. I'd love to have a sense from Courtney and Beth, have either one of you had to give an unexpected raise, for example, to somebody who you wanted to keep or come up with more flexible hours for that person? How do you 
you know, how far do you go? How far are you willing to go to keep the, the team members that you love? You know, now more than ever, you know, this is happening at the moment we're speaking. I feel like we're reevaluating everything and understanding, you know, the value of of long-term relationships again and understanding that what is the trade-off for trying to find somebody new and keep somebody that's here and really dedicated and hoping that you can always keep everybody happy. It's not the easiest thing to do, but absolutely we are discussing those things on the daily on the daily right now between my business manager and myself. And what about you, Beth? You know, we live in California. California, as Billy will tell you, is a very competitive market. And so we try to be in front of that always. And so we give raises pretty regularly and generously. We give bonuses. We've got 401k. We've got, you know, we're very competitive in that way. And I'm, I'm come ha- work with you, Beth. Seriously, <laughs> please do. I'll steal you any day. No, but I, I say this really very much in the spirit of that. I really believe that when people feel taken care of and seen and so forth, it's that we do our highest and best work and creative work. And so I'm happy as we can afford it to do that. And Billy, I'd love your insights since you deal with so many people and obviously various levels, but also I would think intermediate level. I want to. I don't necessarily want a grand pronouncement from you, but I'd love a sense of what are what do younger people value in their work? Because I I know I've know some young people who say they will not work on the weekends. They're out of the office, signing off on Zoom at, every day at five, which is very different from what I grew up with. Although sometimes I think they have a point. So I'd love to get a sense <laughs> from you. What are the values that these young people respect and want to be part of their lives? I think to both on Beth and Courtney's uh, points, people don't want to leave their job by and large. Like most people want to stay put. That's across all levels, junior, senior, intermediate. Most people like for like where they are and they'll make a move only when something truly better comes along or so it seems. That's a conversation with clients before we even get to what people want. Retention is the most important thing you can do with talent. Like that puts me out of business, but at the same time, I'd rather. It's <laughs> right. honestly like it's so complicated and expensive to recruit new team members. So I think our counsel to clients, you know, this is once they've had somebody a year or two, Billy, they've been with me. Like, you know, what 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 should a raise look like? It's important to be market competitive. To your point, Beth, but also really listen. And there's not one set list of items that have a prioritization for candidates across the board. For one person, it might be flexibility. For another person, it might be salary. Or like the health insurance component. And this is something I think that most employers can work with external consultants or their business manager, whomever. Like there are so many ways that you can entice your team. For instance, a 401k with a matching. It actually like behooves you as a business owner to do it. Like it's a write-off and it's actually like truly a no-brainer and it's not that complicated to do so you know we've got clients that are oh i'm too small for that and it's like that's not that's not adequate like you can put it together make it happen because it means something it's an investment in someone's future and i would say that's the paramount piece across the board people want to feel heard they want to feel seen and again you might not have to agree but like they want to have they want to engage in a dialogue and i think this is one of the things we're seeing now more than ever the 
striation between employer and employee has gotten grayer because we did live through this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic period where, like, we got really cozy with people we probably wouldn't have previously just by virtue of, like, looking at each other on Zoom in our own homes. Like, there's those barriers have kind of been broken, and it's going to be very difficult, I think, for better. The collegialness can lead to, I think, more productive, collaborative, creative work because people feel close to each other. But again, it's those... It's hard to segue there, but or t- go on a tangent. But I think again, it's the it's the small things. It's knowing that, like, honestly, give people July second, third, and fourth off. Because guess what? No one is going to work July second, third, and fourth. Like, it's just not worth it. Or the week between Christmas and New Year's. I'm like, guys, like, they're like, we might the phone might ring. It's like, well, tell your clients you're closed. Like, honestly, like, no one. There's nothing in this business that needs to be done on December twenty seventh. Like, it just it goes so far for like. They're not scheduling their vacation days to go visit their family. Flights are expensive. And I think this is one thing, too, we have to remember, particularly as it pertains to candidates that are making $85,000, but they're they're selling a $200,000 table. It's like people in this market are starting to realize, like, wait, and my rent is now $3,000 a month. How am I supposed to, have, like, the, the world has just gotten so in a in a five year span, that much more complicated, and I think people are in this industry are starting to wise up to that, and they're like, okay, do I really care about this? And in order to keep your team caring about it, do, like providing for them makes them feel heard, seen, and they're willing to like, again stay hitched to the web, stay hitched to your practice. I think that's so smart what you just said. I'll tell you a funny anecdote on that regard. Years ago, when we hadn't, and you know, I was probably. This is probably nearly 20 years ago when I first started out and started the business and had not closed down between Christmas and um, New Year's. And there I am with my team. (laughs) It's the week and like the phone isn't ringing and we're all staring at each other. We can't do anything. And I thought, huh. I I think we don't need to do this anymore. (laughs) And what's so nice is that when you do close down, we close down actually a little bit more, more like two weeks, is that it's just an extra bonus of, and and I also, I family and downtime, work-life balance, so important for me. So why wouldn't that be a part of the culture and the philosophy that I'm promoting? And so that's how we see it at Martin Group. And Courtney, I don't know how you guys deal with that? But. We do. Yeah. Everything you both have said is is really what we've been working on internally. And the 401k, the maternity leave, you know, the insurance. These girls, and they're specifically girls in my studio, but um, these girls are getting bombarded daily with text messages, with social media responses, with old clients who think they can get an answer on a Sunday because, you know, it's Sunday and they're the project manager. And, And it's overwhelming. And this has all transitioned like Billy said, over the last five years, social media has taken over and the communication just never stops. So we're not real strict on getting here at eight o'clock. We're at nine to 9.30 kind of in and a five to 7 p.m. kind of out and the girls can come and go as needed. I trust them and I know they're working hard. And for me, that's that's kind of my remote, you know, live your life, work hard. I'm not looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're clocked in and out. And and let's all work together as a team and I'll build your future as much as I can. Let's just, you know, work together really hard while we're here. And I've got a wonderful um, business manager who came into the studio, you know, five years ago, and she's worked really hard to be this human resources 
department by herself for the women in my on my team. And, and that's been really helpful for me because she can gather all this information, the best ways to support the women and how their careers are growing. And she can download that quick information. Courtney, this isn't really going to cost, you know, this is the, this is what it's going to cost to the bottom line. You know, we need to do it. And she's getting all that consult and bringing it to me. And I'm able to sign off on things that I think will really help the team stay together. And also, and on some level, I think too, it feels really good. Like when, like when you know, when the team is like, oh, wow, like my health insurance is covered at a hundred percent or at 85, whatever it is. Like to be people just, it just feels really good to provide for your team in that regard. And they, people take notice of it. And I would say, Courtney, you touched on something really interesting. And Michael, this kind of is a sort of a, an addendum to your a response to your question. Talent now wants to feel like you as the employer are part of their career narrative. Where before there was a bit of like separation of church and state, like you worked for someone until you didn't work for them. And now we're seeing all at all experience levels, we're in this together. And so, you know, I'm contributing as an employee to X, Y, and Z, but how are you involved in my career arc? And the feedback piece, this goes to, you know, to the listening component, people just want to have like a six month review. Like they just want to sit down for a cup of coffee and for 30 minutes and like just have a conversation about, it could be about work for 20 of it in the last 10 minutes it's talking about like next weekend. And I've found that like the firms that are most successful and to your point, Courtney, it could be with the principal or it could be with the business manager just to have a quick like sidebar and say, Hey guys, like what's happening? What's going on? How are we feeling about this? Okay, great. Like we can beat issues off at the past before they even happen. And then Again, I've just found that folks really want that career advancement counsel. They want to, they want to talk about it with their employer because at the end of the day, they do want to stay. They don't want to have to leave. It's so interesting Bill, that you said that, Billy, because I do think that one of the things that we've seen, especially since the pandemic, is these old-fashioned hierarchies are going away. And, you know, the boss or whatever. And I remember I once took, uh, when I was working at El Decor at Hearst, we were sent for leadership training and there was a, a, a brilliant woman from Harvard who was talking about working with millennials. And one of the things that she pointed out was she said, you know, have any of you, I'm not a millennial, clearly, ever had your staff come to you and say, I would love some feedback. And, and she said, and I'm sure, like me, when you're starting out in your career, if somebody, if your boss had said to you, I have some feedback for you, your first thought was, oh my God, I'm about to be fired. That And that would have been my reaction. But she said, these younger people really want to know and be talked to. And as you were saying, all of you were saying, listen to, you know. And I think maybe it's not the boss, like you're this woman that you have, Courtney, who works for as HR person. Maybe she's the one they confide in. But I think that that is really so important and really can make people feel differently about where they're working, whatever their age is. To Billy and Courtney, what you're, what we're all sort of talking about here, and we do this in spades, is that we do formal reviews, but we're much more, they're much more frequent and they're much more casual. So what happens is, is when we sit down and talk about reviews and a particular, if someone, if I want to talk to someone or if they want to talk to me, we're doing this more quarterly now. And so that we have these sort of parceled out and what we 
definitely talk about is that we're talking about, are we giving them coaching at a senior level? Are we mentoring them? Do they want to go to school and get further education on something? We are supportive and are willing to pay for all of that because it is a huge part in the growth of anyone. I know that uh, as a business owner, I do that for myself. So why wouldn't people working for me want to do that as well? And we do offer that. What I will also say about this whole piece about competitiveness and in the marketplace, and as Billy, you said, people wanting to stay, what we've started to look at and we're going to implement more uh, just with the, the spirit of it more than implement perhaps isn't the right way to language this, but it's this idea that if there is a competitor that does come to someone and try to hire them away from our firm, I want to have the spirit of openness about that. And I'm happy to discuss that of like, why would you want to go to the other firm? What are they offering? Um, you know, what are you, what might you get there? And if it's just simply a new experience, then of course you can't compete with that. But if there's something that we can speak to or help with that hasn't been addressed already, it's that I would love to have the openness of that. And for and in the spirit, I would never hold someone back that wanted to go further their career that they couldn't get at at my firm. So we're going to really start looking that at a that as a piece of retaining a lot more. And I think that you Beth, that's so astute. Like, at, and also realizing it's not for as much as all of this is personal. It's also not that personal when someone's ready to move on. It's also, it's like, it has nothing to do with you. They're ready to do something different. And as particularly as this, and I think it's a great thing for the design world in particular, folks are being, and it's been fascinating on our end, the potential new clients that we've fielded, they're coming out of left field. They're not other design firms. They could be, I'm sure in San Francisco, you're seeing this, Courtney, it's tech companies that are like, wait, these are really well-educated, talented project managers that like, if Google or Facebook or X number of other non-traditional design-oriented organizations. We work with a big, you know, boon several years ago in, you know, for candidates. There's so many places that talented design and architectural professionals can go outside of working for a traditional design firm. And I think sometimes like that has never been the case in my experience in the last 17 years in the industry. And now it is. And I'm like, this world is finally earning the respect it deserves, I think. And so, if, and I, again, to your both of your points, when someone's been with you a, a good run and it's time for them to, like, they feel it's time to move on, the best way to do it is, like, listen, the door is always open. If you want to come back, amazing. If not, like, more power to you. We're so excited to see you be successful somewhere else. And listen, I've adopted the same practice, and, and it's, you know, with my team, you know, we had to let a few people go at the beginning of the pandemic because ever, there was just such a, a crazy mode of uncertainty. And since then, you know, two of my former team members have started their own, their own search firms. And it's kind of like, you sit back and you're like, okay, wow, like, I guess they're like competitors, but we're not. But, and you and I'm sure with you guys, with, you know, designers that have left to start their own businesses, Beth and Courtney, you feel really good about it. Like, I'm like, you know what, like, I've trained them well, and now I'm even happy to refer them if it's something I can't work on. So I think in that spirit of everyone moving, like everyone moves ahead when we all feel good about it. It's been challenging at times, but it feels really good. You know, this raises something I'd, I'd like to all of us to just like pull 
well, you guys, I don't know anything. But <laughs> to like pull back a little, I mean, one of the reasons that they're, everybody's scrambling for talent is there's not enough talent coming into the design industry. And I'd love to get a sense from you guys. And maybe we'll start with you, Courtney. What do you think the design industry needs to do to make it clear to so many younger people, especially, but maybe people who work in fashion or other fields, that this is a rewarding, exciting, and creative industry? I mean, great, you know, it's all great question. You know, I have um, just recently, well, I've, I've actually been called upon from my alumni school at the Terry College of Business at University of Georgia to come speak to the business school because I was a business grad. I'm not a design student. And I take a lot of pride in that. You know, I had definitely had my mother had her own design firm and I learned so much just being, you know, in the home with her business. But in all in all honesty, I know that I got the grit for this job with my business degree and going back to the to my alma mater and speaking to the business school kids and, and letting them know that there's so much opportunity in a creative field for for these kids who think maybe they have to go into finance or economics or, you know, whatever it may be with a, a marketing degree or a finance degree, that they really can move into a business, I mean, a design career, an interior design career, and be completely fulfilled and use their education in so in so many positive ways. And then just learn the nuts and bolts of the of the design business. Like we were saying earlier, you know, we've got the social media concept, we've got product development, we've got so much going on in the world of design right now with all the resources and all of the access to purchasing home goods that is, there's just so much out there. And I would encourage, you know, to speak about it and potentially try to educate youth, college students to, to think about this industry. I would just say this and add to that is that I can't even tell you how many professionals have come to us after their first or second jobs and said, I'm rethinking my whole life and where I started out and the career that I was in, whether it was tech, whether it was finance, whatever, it was not fulfilling. I didn't care for it. And now I'm going to focus on what I'm passionate about. And that is beauty and design and, you know, fill in the blank. And so we get that person a lot. Yeah. And Billy, what what would make your life easier? <laughs> How do we get more talent for you to place? I would say that I think to both of your points, it's looking at non-traditional candidates. You know, yes, there are certain technical skills that one needs to have, whether, you know, proficiency with drafting or studio designer or whatever. Like that, those things can all be taught. But I think the the real interest in someone that possesses the desire to be in a lifestyle type business. So whether it's, you know, the product side of design, it's interiors, it's client servicing, it's project management, um, being open to folks that come out of, you know, other areas, um, I think is always great. And I think for talent, being open to exploring what potential employers can have to offer because it is a collaborative process, right? So their name is on the door, they're the boss, and they're 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 looking to grow and develop just as much as you are. And so it's it's it is truly a relationship and a collaboration on that end too. I think that, you know, top-down approach, we're not going to see success with much for in a lot of instances. And, you know, 
being flexible and know that it does take a little bit longer for a business to change and transition. You know, as we know, like you can't sign up for the 401k on the first of every month and just know, or like the, the, there's insurance changes only once a year. So encouraging talent to realize that the businesses are trying to do the best they can, but it does take a little bit more time on occasion to pivot and make those decisions. And it's a back and forth and everyone, everyone for the most part is looking to do this, the right thing for each other. Well, it's interesting because design firms, you know, obviously are creative industries, but you're also businesses, small businesses, many of you, you know, the backbone of America, what keeps America great, but you are businesses. And I think all these things that we've been talking about are so important. I think what's so interesting is that you guys are incredibly creative, but you also understand management and management is a very, very tough thing, I know from experience. But, I and I think the lesson that, Billy, you said it, and I think it's so true, if you can retain your staff, in the long run, it's going to be a lot less expensive than having turnover. All the wisdom that you provided today has made this a really compelling podcast, as far as I'm concerned. So I really want to thank my wonderful guests, Beth Martin, Courtney Bishop, and Billy Clark, and I want to thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague, or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Mm-hmm.